0: I'm Alexis. I'm Mallory. And this is Nukecast. (laughs) All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Nukecast. This one's gonna be a wild ride of news, that's for sure. Basically, it's gonna be mostly news with just a smidge.
1: Of the content that we had planned, and I can make that reference because that's the only trailer I've seen for Fantastic <laughs> Beasts
0: before I decided not to watch anymore. So today's topic is Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the textbook that came out in 2001. But like Mallory said, we're going to be going in through a lot of news, so let's start with that, Potter watch.
1: All right, so we wanted to start with Fantastic Beasts today. Yes. I'm going to mostly let Alexis handle this then. I'll intro you. So the final trailer for the movie was released, what was it, two weeks ago now? Uh, I think so. Something like that. Okay. Do you want want me to, like, cover my ears while
0: you talk and I won't listen? Or do you want to just save it for next episode when I'm not here anyway? We're going to save it for next episode because we're just going to get really deep into it. My friend Saul is going to be on the show. I already talked to him about it. So it'll be great. Awesome. All right,
1: so the um, official screenplay that they're going to release with the movie release date has been announced for the day of the movie, which is, you know, shocking. So (laughs) that's available for
0: pre-order. If you're interested in that, I know I am. Me too. I'm way interested. The first track of the score was released, and the full soundtrack will be released, the movie release date, again, November 18th. I didn't listen to it. Did you listen to it? Yes. I heard that it had Hedwig's theme. It starts with that? moved. Just but like, it goes into its own. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. For that. So like for that, I re- I wish they would have like taken away from Hedwig's scene, but I understand that it's it's sort of like this is where you're coming from, and this is where we're leading you, right?
1: Yeah, like at least we know it's the first track,
0: so it's kind of like getting you hooked with that familiar right. thing, and then okay, now we're going this direction, right? And there's like there's a lot of different emotions in it, and the very ending of it is like really cute. I love oh boy, it. it's gonna be great. I'm so excited. The featurette, what's that?
1: There was a featurette, I'm so unhelpful with it. There's a featurette released. It may even be referring to the same one that was
0: released. No, with there been have been so many videos released, Mallory. You have no idea. Like, and I like try to include them in the notes to help uh-uh, out, but like uh-uh. I don't watch them, so I don't know what they're about. Just the other day on Twitter, I was like scrolling through and Pottermore came up with like a video and I'm like... You know, <laughs> I keep thinking this is the same one I've seen, but I'm just going to click on it to make sure... It wasn't. It was a yeah. whole new one. I'm, like, so behind. I Can I just how. say, I'm so not putting myself through this for the other <laughs> movies.
1: <laughs> this is torture, and it's really hard to go anywhere on the internet.
0: I believe it. Eric Skull,
1: I'm calling you out right now, Mr. <laughs> Twitter Man. It is so hard to be on Twitter with you around.
0: It's true. It's, I follow him now, true. <laughs> oh. So on that note, yeah, other movies. There's going to be five. It's official. Five whole movies. And she said something along the lines of, like, after having written the second one, she just finished writing the second screenplay. Mm -hmm. And going over the whole entirety of the plot with producer, I think, David Heyman and probably David Yates, they all determined that the whole arc of it is a five-movie arc.
1: I'm pleased as punch, honestly. Like, I've heard a lot of Good. negative reactions of people yeah. saying, like, oh, it's just going to be that same, like, oh, it's going to be a trio, but the last two are going to be split into two, or whatever. <laughs> but you know what? I'm reserving all judgment until I see the movie, because I feel like a lot of those negative reactions are coming on the back of Cursed Child, which wasn't received right, very well. Right. But this... Is written by her. I mean, she is the screenwriter for this movie. It's not someone else with her stamp of approval. So
0: I have much higher hopes for this than I did for Cursed Child. And I was pretty okay with Cursed Child. Yeah, I had huge hopes for this compared to Cursed Child even before Cursed Child came out. Because I always am, like, really... Don't touch my cannon, right? <laughs> but this one is in a different place in a different time, so I felt a lot better about it. And I'm really happy that you're happy about this because so many people are upset. I didn't
1: see your notes for this before, <laughs> so she's just in here like, "Why is no one excited about this? Why?" <laughs> I'm excited about this. I I'll take
0: whatever I can get. That's awesome. I love that I'm so super much. Stoked. I am cautiously excited about it. Because for me, it it feels very reminiscent of Cursed Child when they were like, you'll get why when you see it. Because mm-hmm. she used that same kind of phrasing, you'll get why there's five when you see the plot. Oh, and she said that for the same thing of why they split the play into two? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. And for that reason, it makes me feel like in creative endeavors, like there's always a parameter, right? Like you write a series, like she knew she was reading, r- writing seven books or... You know, if you're doing a trilogy, you're doing a trilogy. Um, But because the popularity of Harry Potter is so large, she doesn't really have that. Like, she doesn't have to worry about, like, I can only write the next one if this one sells, right? Like, most writers do. And so, for me, it's a little bit scary. I feel like the plot has a potential of getting out of hand and just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That is one concern I Mm had. just that she
1: doesn't have, like, the necessity to whittle down that a lot of people do. So there might be a lot of
0: superfluous stuff that we don't really need or that actually contributes to the plot but yeah that was my biggest complaint about Cursed Child afterwards like I even included it in my spoiler free review is just like I felt like the plot just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and rather than reining it in and slowing it down in parts they were just like exploring the other parts which is fine to an extent but you have to rein it in like otherwise it just becomes this humongous thing that no one knows what to Mm -hmm. deal with So, anyway, and that might just be a personal preference, too. Maybe people really want the big plots in Michael Bay films with explosions. (laughs) I'm more here for the characters, so that's a personal thing.
1: Well, I guess we'll see how we feel about it in a month after we've seen this movie.
0: (gasps) Mallory, there's so many things to tell you about.
1: (laughs) Um, And then just other Fantastic Beasts news, we have a mobile game that's coming to us the day before the movie comes out. They're calling it Fantastic Beasts Cases from the Wizarding World. It's looking like it's going to be a sort of hidden object type game, much like Pottermore was when it first came out, I assume, where you're like hunting around and like, oh, you click on this thing and it's going to be some... Fun little interesting tidbit, or maybe a game.
0: Interesting. That's the
1: kind of vibe I got from it. A lot of people were expecting a more Pokemon Go type thing where you have yeah. to go around, but I don't think they had the time or the framework to really build that up yet. Right. And a lot of people were also wanting more of a role play thing, but they need to <laughs> always. Like, <laughs> Well, basically, what they said is they need to see if the movie franchise is successful before they put in the work that that's going to require because that
0: takes a lot of work and a yeah. lot of money. Yeah. So maybe someday. That would take a ton, a ton of work. Also, if
1: there's a role playing game, I don't see them making it Fantastic Beasts. hmm Definitely not. It would have to related. be Hogwarts because Clever Morning. Yeah. 'Cause that's what would sell better. Yeah. I mean anything would sell,
0: but what would sell the best? It would be Hogwarts. Right, yeah. Something contained. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting you think that because I my first thought was an AR alternate reality game where you are like Pokemon Go. Yeah, I was actually game. just reading an article about it today and that okay. was what they were saying is like a find yeah. hidden
1: objects type thing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a, a. It might be because I'm in a class right now where we're making an AR game. So that's all I can literally think about <laughs> in terms of mobile games. You take the but, coolest classes. <laughs> I try my best. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so there's going to be this virtual reality headset that Google has released, where they're gonna like let you cast spells with the virtual reality program. And I don't actually know much about what it's supposed to be, but oh, there's yeah. just been little tidbits released, and I'm pretty sure you. Put this in here, didn't you? I think I did a long time ago. <laughs> so, yeah, that's – I'm really interested to see where that goes. I've never actually even used
0: a virtual reality headset before. Have you? I've used, like, Google Cardboard. Oh, yeah, there's the – it's a very small snippet, but we'll put in the notes. Um, but, yeah, Google Cardboard is, like, a thing where you put your own phone to your face, and so that becomes uh. virtual reality. So it's less cool than this. <laughs> But um, it looks like it could be potentially really awesome. Like, it would be a better version of the Spells app that they had, like, early iPhone days.
1: You mean the one I still have on my iPod? You do? (laughs) Yes! I can't even find it anymore. It's because my iPod is really old. That's amazing.
0: (laughs) It's like the first generation iPod Touch. Incredible. (laughs) The Chamber of Secrets Illustrated Edition was released. That's very exciting. Did you flip through it yet?
1: I haven't looked through it very thoroughly. Yeah. I looked at, like, the couple previews and everything. But, I mean, if it's
0: anywhere near as beautiful as the first one was, it's going to be fantastic. I went to Barnes & Noble to get somebody's a birthday gift and flip through it for, like, 20 minutes. Nah. Because I was just, like, <laughs> about to cry every time I saw a new image. It's gorgeous. Oh, man. It's amazing. Someone did to... point out, though, there's no image of Ginny. Really? And this is her biggest story. She's so central. Yeah. Boo. Same.
1: All right, and then our last bit of miscellaneous news. We have all eight Harry Potter films returned to IMAX theaters for one week, um, starting last Thursday, the 13th. So I didn't go to those, especially because I just rewatched all the movies with my roommates. I have a roommate who has never read or seen Harry Potter She, just like Celeste, was one of those who her mom thought it was all, like, evil witchcraft, wouldn't let her experience, but she's out on her own for the first time, so we've corrupted her. And (laughs) when I left today to come record, she was in her bed reading my copy of Sorcerer's Stone, and I was so touched. So So, shout out to Kirsten.
0: She's going to listen once she's done with the books. (laughs) So she just started reading the books. Yeah. And she, she watched movies. the movies
1: first. Oh, okay. Not how I would have done things, but right, right. my roommates started without me, so mm. it's fine. Okay. And it was really cool, actually, to be watching them with her and have her reactions to what was going on, because she'd predict things, and sometimes she'd be right on, and I'd be like, how on earth did you know that? Yeah. And other times, she'd be so off the wall, I would just start laughing and get it away. <laughs> It kind of renewed my faith in the uh, longevity of the stories because she knew absolutely nothing about them whatsoever. Wow. That's
0: awesome. And the movies, that, that, at least the movies were good enough for her to still feel like in in the yeah. world. And well, and she had us it. there,
1: too, for the things that didn't make sense if you've only had right, the movies. Right, To explain, like, the wait, what's movie. going on with, <laughs> what is this deer doing here? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, his dad can turn into a deer, just so you know. <laughs>
0: That's really interesting. I'd love to have her on the show and talk about, like, what she didn't get. I don't know. It would be fun. We probably
1: will have to do that. Okay.
0: Shall we move on to our Pottermore news, which is the really juicy stuff? Yeah. All right. So, since our last episode, actually before that was released, anyway, the Patronus (laughs) quiz came out. Yay! Finally.
1: It's been so long! What did you think? I thought it was really cool. Uh Uh-huh. I loved it. I I mean, I was pleased with my result. I wasn't one of those poor suckers who got stuck with, like, a mole or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I got a calico cat, which I always kind of felt like a cat would be appropriate for me. So I was like, okay,
0: cool. Sounds good. Yay, good. I was one of those people, I guess. I was unsatisfied enough to take it again, (laughs) which is, like, the first time it's ever happened to me on Pottermore. So that was an interesting twist for me. (laughs) the one that I got second really resonated with me so I feel okay like accepting that and it was a Saint Bernard because I love big dogs no I took it again just because you did
1: (laughs) (laughs) and I got a hedgehog the second (laughs) time I was like that's adorable I love it I love that too uh I did find like something a little ironic about a lot of people's results including mine and I've got a question for you I want to see what you think Why does she have so many animals as Patronuses that are specific to their coloring when every Patronus is just silver and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference? Like, I got a calico cat, and calico just refers to the color markings, which could be included in any number of species.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, calico, at least, like, they usually have a different kind of, like, spottiness compared to, like, if you get to the tuxedo kind where they're just, like, the line. Right. Well, uh, and, like, I was researching it, of course, because yeah, I'm like, okay, i got to find
1: out the kind of person I am. Yeah. And, like, they can only be female. They have sort of a reputation with being lucky in a lot of cultures, which is funny for me because my name means unlucky. Oh, my gosh, really? True story. Mal. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So I thought that was kind of funny, but I also saw people with
0: like stallions of whatever color. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what I first got was a white mare. Oh, yeah. Which just means white female horse. Right. And so I went to the horse Reddit page <laughs> and posted on there, Hi, I just caught a white mare as my patron- Patronus. Can you help me figure out what that would mean? Like, are there any things in that specific breed? Da da, da. And the comments were like, are you stupid? That's a color, not a breed. <laughs> yeah.
1: So my question is, if you, like, are performing... This spell for the first time in your Patronus pops out. How would you know your Patronus is a white mare? It's
0: just this silver shape. I feel like that's an error on her part, honestly. I, I think of feel like so, too. She probably just looked up kinds of horses and didn't realize those weren't breeds. Those were colors. Yeah. Because I think male males and females have different temperaments, and so that makes sense. But, yeah, the color thing? Nah, I don't have anything. Yeah. Shout out to my sister Corinne for pointing that one out. <laughs>
1: Okay, well, if any of you have thoughts about the Patronus quiz, whether you liked it, disliked it, thought it could be improved in some way, please let us know and we'll talk about it when we eventually talk about
0: the Patronus quiz more. I probably have a Patronus segment. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Also, this one is going to be kind of, it's news, but it's also going to be sort of our mini suitcase segment. It's going to be like the carry-on or something. (laughs) Because there was a new um, essay sort of writing um, on Makuza that was released on Pottermore that just talks about the history of Makuza a little bit more than what we've already gotten to know, and we want to discuss it because it is
0: very relevant to Fantastic Beasts coming up. So we're going to get into that now. I noticed that you called it Makuza mm-hmm. because it does say that's the pronunciation. But as I wrote in the show notes, I do not agree with the strange way of speaking, and as an American, we'll say it how I like. Thank you very much. <laughs>
1: Are you from Alabama now or something? <laughs> I like
0: it. Wait, so how about. do you say it? MACUSA.
1: Makusa. Oh, that's right. Okay. It sounds
0: like an S. Just like FLOTUS or POTUS of the United yeah. States. I
1: feel like we almost have more say in this than she does because
0: we're American. Exactly. I feel not. like she just asked a random American, like, how would you say this? And they were like, "Makusa," And she's like, <laughs> right. That's very American. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure people would say it that way. Like, everyone speaks differently. This is the states. We're all a big conglomeration of speaking. But, <laughs> no, I call it Makusa. So, Makusa, uh,
1: MACUSA. MACUSA. <laughs> we'll just go with what we got here. Uh, it was created in 1693 after the International Statute of Wizarding Secrecy was put in place. But, obviously, it was before Rapoport's law because that was part of MACUSA that created it. And it was modeled on the Ministry
0: of Magic's predecessor,
1: which was the Wizards Council of
0: Great Britain. There were representatives from all over the North American continent that was elected.
1: I'm wondering if that means the Ministry of Magic has just representatives from different areas, because I always kind of just pictured it as, like, the different departments. But they've got to have people from, like, different areas saying, hey, this is what's going on in this area of Scotland right now, and we need help. That's true. I don't know. How does that work? Tell me about wizarding voting. <laughs> Ooh,
0: what are ballots? So, the primary aim of this new establishment was to get rid of scourers, who are those scary people who want to eradicate wizard kind, which is terrifying. And so, there's no doubt as to why the first president, Josiah Jackson, was elected because he was tough and warlike they felt safer in someone who would be very strict on these people
1: it's really reflective of like after any war time in just nomad American history usually it was a successful general who was elected president
0: I like that you call it nomad American history
1: that's what it is (laughs) I love it I'm finally like becoming comfortable with the phrase nomads. So I'm I love able it. to like just in time work for that it film. into my vocabulary without stumbling over it too much. So That's we're getting great. there.
0: And then in the beginning, there was no fixed meeting place, so they sort of met all over, which is erratic and messy. I'm sure.
1: President Jackson recruited and trained the first oars. The first 12 auras are listed here in this little article. So there's a few certain ones of note. Charity Wilkinson became the third MACUSA president. Theodard (laughs) Fontaine. Amazing. His descendant is the present Ilvermorny headmaster. Gondolphus Graves' family is still influential. And we learned like way at the end of this article that his descendant is the current head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement. And then, of course, the one that pops out to most people as they're reading through is Abraham Potter, who is
0: distantly related to our boy, HP. I thought that name choice is very important, Abraham father of many. Mm -hmm. And also knowing the Potter line is related to the Deathly Hallows. I mean I feel like she would have
1: mentioned if Harry was a direct descendant instead of very specifically saying like historians later discovered that he was distant related and were really excited about it so he probably
0: wasn't part of that actual Peverell line. Yeah. Yeah. But still cool. For me, it's very interesting. It kind of bothers me that she chose the name Potter. Because as you know in family history, your name line is very small compared to like all of the other branches, right? Oh, yeah. So the chances of a Potter showing up and being related to Harry Potter is just... A little too far-fetched for me, but I see why. Right, it's that same recognizability factor, so I guess we can give her a pass on that. (laughs) So the challenges set before them at the very beginning is that America was one of the most hostile places for magical people. There was very little, no, there was no cooperation between no magic wizarding governments. And the first headquarters that was actually created was in the Appalachians, but the remote location was a little too inconvenient for them, so they moved it to President Thornton Harkaway's home in Williamsburg, Virginia in 1760.
1: This dude bred Krups, which if you remember from your reading of Fantastic Beasts, <laughs> are basically Jack Russell terriers, but with forked tails. And they have the special trait that they are very devoted to wizard kind and really aggressive toward matches. So this caused some problems for President Harkaway because his pack attacked some no-madges, and they could only bark for the next 48 hours. So obviously that was a bit of a problem with the whole international statute of secrecy. So he had to resign. Williamsburg, also it was mentioned, is the first U.S. city to have a mental hospital, Mm -hmm. which she's blaming on, you know, the weird goings-on of wizards in the area causing muggles to think, Oh, I did it. No-madges causing nomadges to think they were crazy when really they were perfectly sane and they just either had seen some wizarding activity and blabbed or they had memory charms put upon them.
0: We need a resident historian. I know, Merrin, where's Mary she can meter?
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't remember the order in which the U.S. Capitol hopped around, but I was noticing
0: some similarities here. Yeah. So I'm like, okay,
1: Baltimore, uh-huh. Washington, New York. like These are all places that were pretty influential in U.S. history. So. Exactly.
0: When that was no longer a safe place for MACUSA, they moved to Baltimore, which was the home of President Abel Fleming. They had to relocate again because of the Revolutionary War and the U.S. Congress arriving in Baltimore. It was just too much for them, and they just needed to get out. Yeah, too much of a hot spot, so they're like, yeah. we need to leave. So then they moved to Washington. I'm
1: assuming D.C. Yeah, that <laughs> bothered me. She that just bothered Washington, me a Washington, but I mean, they hadn't... <laughs> I'm assuming that they wouldn't go all the way across the continent and then back. (laughs) Washington did
0: not yet exist. And it's just kind of
1: implied. So we're going to go with Washington, D.C. on this. And this was while President Elizabeth Mm McGilliguddy was in control. I was really interested in this little tidbit. Um, While they were here in Washington, there was a big country or kind debate, as she called it, in 1777, which was really reflective, I felt, of what we were talking in our North American history episode about wondering whether Native Americans, when the European settlers hadn't come over yet, whether they would be more loyal to their tribe when there are tribal wars going on, or whether they would be more likely to side with other magical Wizarding people. Kind. Right. So it's that same debate, but happening under the makusa in a more formal setting. Formal setting. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I'm glad that we brought it up because it shows that this is something that she also has taken under consideration. Right, right.
0: Also, I love the whole story behind this, where they contacted the Ministry of Magic because the war was starting with with England. And they were like, hey, what you doing about this? And Ministry of Magic was like, we're sitting this one out. (laughs) And her response is
1: even better mind you do (laughs) basically butt out or there's going to be problems yeah that's very american it felt right their eventual decision was that officially the magical community was not going to participate in the american revolutionary war but of course unofficially many people did intervene to help protect their neighbors help fight for their side just kind of whatever they felt they could do without getting in trouble
0: yeah And they still celebrated Independence Day, albeit separately from their muggle, I mean, nomad neighbors, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is nice. I feel like it's important with all the negativity around the start of America in the wizarding world. It's nice to have a little bit of patriotism there. Yeah, (laughs) because it feels so separate from like America. Yeah, since there was just no interaction whatsoever between wizards and nomadges. Rappaport's Law happened in 1790, and then the Sasquatch Uprising yes. in 1892. <laughs> Irene Kneedander, she comes up with the best amazing. names.
1: Just amazing. Uh, so she was head of the body for protection of magical species, humanoid division, <laughs> which is great. And apparently her interpretation of the job was that she would attack any Sasquatch that stepped out of line, so it caused an uprising, and <laughs> there was a lot of memory charms that had to be put in place. It caused big uproar, so they had to move a again. So they moved to New York City. They infiltrated the construction team that was working on the Woolworth building, which was brand new, and this is a real place again. So I feel like she's almost throwing us a bone here, mm-hmm. for those of us who can't go to London and, like, take mm-hmm. pictures at Platform 9 and 3 quarters, we can go to the Woolworth building and, like, be like, hey, this is the entrance to Makuza, Yeah. Um, it says that there is a eagle over the entrance, or an um, owl. There's an owl over the entrance. I was looking up pictures of the building, and there is an eagle over the top, so now I'm thinking, uh-huh, maybe it appears as an owl to wizards oh. so they can see it, but to no it just appears as an eagle. That's funny. And that's kind of like a...
0: Symbolic Muggle. of the separation between American wizards and American nomads. Yeah, but it's a really... I
1: mean, it's a gorgeous building, and I'm yeah. assuming they're going to... Very historical. ...include actual shots of the building
0: in the film, oh, yeah. so... Certainly. Especially cool. since this is the place that it is during the 1920s. And, of course, I... I think it's so funny that the reason they moved there is because of some sort of magical beast uprising happening Mm -hmm. five years before the birth of our friend Newt Scamander. Funny how that happens. How he affects that entire thing. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, one little other tidbit. When this movie is going to be taking place, that building will have been the tallest building in the world.
0: So we move on to Makusa in the 1920s. Law enforcement is their largest department, of course, because the scours, I'm sure, are still at large. Uh, Rappaport's Law is still in effect. Office for Nomad Fraternization,
1: wand Permit Office,
0: all of these things. So those are both
1: offices that have no counterpart over the Ministry of Magic. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of concepts that are new to us who are just getting introduced to
0: American wizardry here. Right. I feel like these are these are all kind of things we already knew from the last readings yeah. but it's good to get caught up. Um there's a death penalty for the worst criminals which is new. Mm-hmm. Slightly unsurprising although I wish it were different. <laughs> yes. I- President Serafina Pickery of course is the president of Makusa and law enforcement head is Percival Graves and they are both relevant in the Fantastic Beasts movies so that's exciting yay also can I tell you about her accent yes it doesn't exist boo we hear her voice for the first time and I was like no we could have had it all (laughs) hold on to that hope I will write about it in fan fiction if it doesn't happen so Makusa, I don't know I it felt weird because it wasn't something I was expecting I wasn't either. There was no, like, keep an eye out for yeah. some new, it was just, hey, here's some things. Yeah, and it was like, this is the last segment in our, I'm like, there was another segment? Like, you didn't even lay out how many segments there would be, I guess, because no one was really expecting it. It just sort of popped up. Part of me wonders how necessary it will be to know these things. Probably not at all, I'm assuming. They'll be covered in the movie, mm-hmm. at least at the base level. But I was talking to my film professor about it, and it was just this. I feel like this is new terrain. Other films in the past have had you like read things before the movie, so you could get caught up. Like yeah. Dune comes to mind. I don't know if you've seen Dune. Yes, I have. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I saw it for the first time a few weeks ago. It is an experience. Wounds.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah, I. I mean, if you tried to. Asked me what the actual plot of Dune is. I couldn't tell you because I don't remember, but I remember it was a wild ride and I remember Sting was in it. Worms. (laughs) Yeah, I do remember the sandworms. (laughs) And I remember a really gross family of gingers.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so apparently, like, when that first came out in theaters, they would have to give guides to names and locations and objects so that they weren't completely lost because the book series was so in-depth. It's like when you read, like,
1: high fantasy novel; and They've got, like, the guide to all the characters and the map in the beginning that you kept. That's
0: true. (laughs) You keep having to
1: flip back to because you're like, okay, who is this and where are
0: they? Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, it's not new to film necessarily, but this whole shift from, like, Harry Potter started as a book series and the world expanding canonically in film and with additional information gleaned from the internet. It's just
1: that not everyone is going to read. Yeah. In fact, most people probably won't. Right. Well,
0: a lot of people don't even know what Fantastic Beasts is. Yeah.
1: It's just beyond me. But anyway. So, I mean, it makes (laughs) you wonder how much that information is going to be necessary or if it's just fun and enriching or if it's just some intern who is like, hey, this is cool, let's publish it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> we shall see <laughs> now on to our main segment so this is fantastic beasts and where to find in the textbook we were going to start going into a few of the creatures but
1: most likely we're just going to cut all of that out and just talk about the intro stuff because we feel like that's more relevant to the film that's coming up and just it's unnecessary to talk about the animals especially when we already know a lot about them
0: for those of you who aren't aware, this book was published in 2001 as part of a charity um, thing. to help charity. Campaign. <laughs> That's the word. Yeah. So J.K. Rowling was commissioned to write this, and alongside this, uh, Quidditch Through the Ages, which has more Quidditch rules that you will never need to know. Um, oh, is it fun. But they're so fun, yeah. So both of these books are really cute, fun reads, not necessary to the series. The question about whether or not they're canon— we can read into as we go into the introduction and the foreword by Albus Dumbledore.
1: And it is very tricky because these are supposed to be replicas of Harry Potter's actual school copies of the textbook. They've got his name written on it. They've got the trio's scribblings inside. So it's supposed to be part of this canonical universe. Right. But there's things we'll get into that make that hard to believe. Yeah. It's a tricky little attempt they made here and. I'm not entirely sure it was successful,
0: and I think they are going to be releasing a new edition of this book after the film, and I think it's coming out next spring. It would make sense for them. I hope they don't put a picture from the film on the cover. Oh, I hope not. I hope hmm. they don't. I wouldn't. Ex- I actually would not have thought about that until Although you just said maybe,
1: that. Although maybe what would be cool though is like just a back. Jacket or like in the about the author cover, just have a picture of him. That would be okay and kind of cute. Mm -hmm.
0: Throughout the book, Harry Potter, Ron, and Hermione have all written in it, and so it just it's just very nostalgic. It just reminds you of happier, easier, simpler times with the trio. Yeah, I like it a lot. And it's really fun trying to figure out whether it was Harry or Ron who wrote whatever it is that they wrote. (laughs) Yeah. And something I noticed, too, in the title page, it has the Hogwarts crest with all of the animals, like the mascots, fleeing the crest. My version doesn't have that. Really? Pretty sure. I should have brought it with me. Oh, you should have. Yeah, this is. I have the newer version. Uh, Mallory has the older version, so it might have been different in the older version. But here, all of the animals are just fleeing the crest. It's kind of weird. I've hmm. never seen it before except for here. Maybe
1: the crest over the years just got redesigned and reimagined by various... Headmasters. <laughs> Maybe. That's like the only
0: way we can go about thinking of that. Alrighty. Wait, and there's a dedication too? Yeah. Well this one is to JK Rowling.
1: Huh. Mine doesn't have that either.
0: Well, i'm Pretty sure. Okay, we're gonna dip into the back of the book with about the author pages. Oh
1: uh, see, I really should have brought mine because in mine that's the first section. It's not in the back.
0: Wow, mine's in the back.
1: <laughs> Okay, well, we're going to talk about it first, yep. either way. <laughs> I was looking <okay> with it. <laughs> so, Newt Scamander's full name is Newton Artemis Fido Scamander. Ron says, nice name. Newton mostly just works because it's Newt and it's an animal, and she likes to make all of her textbook authors puns off of their subjects. Uh-huh. So, I don't know if she thought about this ahead of time, or if she's just like, Newt, that's a fun name, let's do it. But I really appreciated his next middle name, I guess, which is... Artemis, who is the goddess of the moon, the hunt, chastity, virginity, and the natural environment, which makes sense, because he's Mr. Nature Guy. And then his other middle name is Fido, which is
0: a dog's name. I love that so much.
1: I mean, that's just straight up a dog's name. There are not people named (laughs) Fido. But the Latin meaning of the name is to trust, believe, confide in, or I am faithful, which is so helpful. (laughs) So it's great! yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then his last name, Scamander, is the name of a Greek mythology river god, also known as Xanthos, which I tried to find something hmm. connecting in there, and there was really not much to
0: know. So it was probably just a cool name that she picked up off somewhere. Also because Newts and Salamanders. Oh, and uh,
1: yes. that's that too. Is very nice.
0: Very nice name. So his mother was a fancy hippogriff breeder, which I love the fact that it's a fancy. What makes a hippogriff fancy? (laughs) I mean, mean, I'm not one to judge
1: because I think all fancy breeds of anything are dumb and ridiculous. (laughs) So I should probably withhold judgment.
0: I didn't even think about that. Like this is probably like show hippogriffs, like show dogs. Like you like have bows in their hairs and they have to like prance around a specific way. I mean,
1: I watch the dog show on Thanksgiving or whatever it is uh-huh. every once in a while, and my commentary usually runs along the line of,
0: well, that certainly is a dog they brushed a lot. <laughs> like, I don't know or care. Well, they have to so. stand, like, a specific point. Like, their nose has to be a specific distance from their feet, mm. and like their tail has to be arced a specific way. So I wonder if so. there's all of that that yeah. works into the hippogriff breeding. Which would be extremely dangerous. Yeah. Knowing how hypocrites are. So anyway, he had a lot of exposure to
1: magical creatures as a child. This is something that I was confused by, but also I couldn't research too much because I'm avoiding spoilers. Right. So the book here says that he graduated from Hogwarts, but according to... The movie trailer, which I only know about because of J.K. Rowling's tweets, he was expelled from Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. So, which is true? Is this just a mistake that she, you know, had this published in the book and later was like, "Oh, it's more compelling to have him have have been expelled from Hogwarts," mm-hmm. or is there some sort of explanation that she's gonna? work into this like he went back and got his Wizarding GED or <laughs> Albus Dumbledore wrote this when he wrote the foreword as well and was like
0: ah, he graduated it's fine like yeah it's it's not something that's been resolved in trailers so far so what you know is what everyone knows Okay. and as soon as like that trailer was released people like hooked on to this little tidbit of information immediately because it's the one contradiction that we know of throughout the whole book versus the trailers and what we know of the movie So, yeah, that's the big question is, like, if you guys have any, like, ideas beyond what we've come up with, because that's literally all I know is... I could honestly...
1: Yeah, I could honestly see it. I mean, if we're just going to go from the canon's perspective, Mm -hmm. if they were going to make this a Hogwarts textbook, I wouldn't really want... The students reading. Oh, he was expelled Uh, from Hogwarts and is still wildly successful. You
0: don't need an education. Interesting. So maybe they just
1: said he graduated, even though he
0: didn't. (laughs) You know, what's really interesting is that technically this book was published a year after the film is going to be taking place. Oh, I like that a lot. So I wonder if it has to do with like whatever he does in New York, whatever kind of day saving happens. like, maybe they give him, like, an honorary graduation. That would make sense. So then he worked in uh, the Ministry in the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures, House <laughs> Elf Relocation Office, and then he transferred to the Beast Division, where he worked his way up quickly. Um, He's very bored with the House Elves, unfortunately, and I can imagine he wants to be out in the field. You know, that's more of his style, because what we know of him, I don't know if you want to know this, Do you want me to just plug my ears? Yes. Okay. From what we know of him, he doesn't like people. He likes creatures. So it makes sense that in a work environment, he would want to be away from the desk job and into the field. Good times. I'm making things so (laughs) difficult.
1: Um, It also says that he was almost solely responsible for the werewolf register that was put in place in 1947,
0: which makes me sad but it's such a complicated issue that i mean you just don't know and also this is 1920s or 1940s i guess right which not to give them like oh they didn't know any better but i mean sometimes but sometimes you do have to just kind of like remember those were the times right and that was probably more progressive than i don't know whatever the other options were at the time
1: yeah i mean maybe a register was
0: the alternative to Finding them and putting them and down, locking them. them up. Yeah, it could have so, been a hunt, and instead they were registering them. So, so you maybe, just never know. Yeah, maybe that was the humane alternative, right? But I do like that it's not. That's not what he's proudest of. He's proudest of the 1965 ban on experimental breeding. Hagrid. Um, <laughs> yes, Hagrid. Actually, that's something you can say to most of the things in this book. Hagrid. <laughs> A lot of people theorize, and this has nothing to do with the trailers, but a lot of people theorize that he's going to be the one to give Haggard the acromantula. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hope so. And then by the end of his life, he has The Order of Merlin, Second Class in 1979. I wonder if he earned that for what goes on in these films or for something that
1: happened later in his life or just mm-hmm. for his general Two. contribution to wizarding knowledge of magical creatures
0: yeah and i don't know what you want to know about this and what you don't want to nothing. know. nothing <laughs> i'm so sorry oh, okay next week guys or two <laughs> weeks from now Saul, all
1: so now or at least now according to when this book was published he is living with his wife porpentina goldstein relation to anthony goldstein potentially we don't know I like to assume so. He's retired and lives with his pet measles, Hoppy, Millie, and Mauler. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like the name Hoppy because that was literally my nickname in elementary school. Aww. And so if he was living by the time it was published in 2001, which I don't know what the time frame of. I don't understand. We'll get into that with a foreword by Albus Dumbledore. But let's say it was this edition was published in 2001 for Muggles. And it sounds like he's still living based on about the author. And if that was so, he'd be 104 years old, which is Mm -hmm. like magic people age. Fine.
1: Yeah, the timeline for this is very confusing. Very, yeah. Mm -mm. But we are about to get into the foreword here. I mean, yeah, it's it's confusing because the books take place in the 90s, but this was released in 2001, and yet he's speaking as though Harry's, I don't know, first or second year, and also... Dumbledore dies before Harry graduates from yeah, was, Hogwarts so it can't this can't have been written after he graduated from
0: Hogwarts, right? So what's
1: going on here?
0: I assumed that he was writing or he was writing about an older Harry. Like I would like to assume that he was t- he asked an adult Harry for his permission to publish his notes rather than like a 12-year-old Harry, right? But,
1: but this was published before the sixth book was published. Exactly. And we didn't know Dumbledore
0: was going to die. That, the, that would be the biggest spoiler ever is like <laughs> yeah. McGonagall's forward. And you're like, why didn't Dumbledore write this? After
1: the passing of Albus Dumbledore, and <laughs> <laughs> we'd all be like, ah,
0: what? Yeah. So I think this was purely convenience sake and I wouldn't take it too seriously. Initially. Watch me. Let's do it. <laughs> do it. So if anyone has any
1: wise words of how to solve this for me. I will be eternally grateful. Okay, well, I just wanted to talk about their attempt to make this book canon in the sense that it's Harry's actual textbook and yet he mentions real life things like the Comic Relief Fund. He mentions J.K. Rowling, which implies that Albus Dumbledore knows J.K. Rowling. He does in his foreword. Unless they changed it in your edition. Maybe they realized it was a bad idea. Where? And then it talks about how the funds are going to go into something that's set up in Harry Potter's name. And then it says, because of J.K. Rowling.
0: And that just completely Uh breaks the spell. Yeah, no, it doesn't mention J.K. Rowling in the newest edition. (sighs) Also, it doesn't mention in Harry Potter's name.
1: See, and that was the thing I had the biggest problem with. In the earliest editions, they talk about this stuff and it completely breaks the spell of canon. Yeah. Which they're trying to make it feel real because like, oh, your muggle's reading this and... You're having Harry Potter's real edition, but don't worry, it's not real. Like, the animals can't hurt you and everything. But when they talk about real people, J.K. Rowling, who, outside of the context of this book, talks about Harry Potter as something that she imagined up and that is not real, including her in this canon completely breaks the believability of the textbook.
0: Yeah, she's been taken out. That was a very good decision. Which is curious to me, because all of a sudden, like, we have a new canon. Mm-hmm. Right, and this is probably higher up than the last edition was.
1: If we're going by Mariah's law of what was published yeah. most recently, then yeah, this would override the. So what are we going to do
0: when in five six months the newer edition comes out post movie? I wonder if they will have changed things.
1: I think they're going to have added a ton. They'll definitely. I mean, if they're going to change anything, it's definitely going to be in the about the author. Oh. Oh, and beasts. <laughs> Maybe they'll add a whole bunch of beasts. Yeah. Maybe they'll finally put the North American beasts in, which that is another contradiction. It's like, okay, is there a North American edition of this book? Yeah. And, and if so, why is it just North America that you've not included in this when you've got creatures from Japan and Tanzania and all these other places that are not Europe? I always just kind of felt like it was a post, like, oh, I've thought of all these creatures that I'm going to create, and they're not in this old thing that I published a long time ago before the book series was even finished.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And I've tried to come find some way to, like, reconcile it, and they're all just so, like,
0: they're so contrived. (laughs) All right, moving on to the introduction.
1: So, our friend Newt here spent hours as a child dismembering horclumps. which, yikes. (laughs) So sad. (laughs) It's like the kids who sit and pick the wings off butterflies. Yeah.
0: (laughs) kid
1: was disturbed anyway so he was um commissioned by augustus worm of Obscurest books in 1918 to compile this info dump basically an encyclopedia of magical creatures and i really enjoy the fact that she came up with not one but two different publishing companies while writing this book and like <laughs> put the came up with a logo for them and put it on the spine of the book just as any publishing company would be on any book even though the publishing companies are not real.
0: Yeah, I definitely love the level of canon in that, or the the depth. I guess she goes to to fill out canon. Um, and I am really looking at dates in this introduction because 1918 is before our film begins. So he's already been commissioned. He was 21 years old when he was commissioned. So just a wee little lad getting what two sickles. I, I don't know. Some I don't remember. poor, sad. S- yeah. At age 21, he's finally given a commission to go out and do what he really wants to do. So that means in 1926, during the era of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them the Film, he's 29 years old. So he's been around. He's already been to a lot of places. If, this is, if all of these dates still check out, which if they wrote this new edition, I would hope so. Yeah. And that might also solve the idea about Albus Dumbledore and ex- ex- being expelled and stuff. So she has thought about it. They would have erased that from here. You would think. Like. Yeah. You think. Anyway, and the first edition is published in 1927, which is the year after Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. The film is currently set.
1: Um, the only thing I was going to mention is um, just in the next segment, it talks about what is a beast. You know, how do we distinguish them from a being? Mm-hmm. And it is one of those things that I just started thinking about too much because okay. I feel like there should be a category besides beast and being. For those creatures like centaurs and mermaids who are perfectly capable of participating in wizarding law and things like that but choose not to. Or for the creatures that are in the creature category but are just more sentient than something like a horclump or a (laughs) flobberworm who is just like strictly, it's an animal. Yeah. But a lot of these other creatures are, you know, self aware. They're relatively Heartbeat. intelligent, but they're not. Heartbeat. You're really, yeah. Maybe I don't know some sort of spectrum, kind of in the way they've rated the dangerousness on a scale of like one to five X's. Yeah. But there's just so many tricky things you get into yeah. because then you start like rating intelligence, and <laughs> it's it's just messy stuff. And I'm starting to like go into Hermione Wizarding Law mode, and I get I'm like getting all magical creature rights fired up here like that's not fair to the whatever and I remember like in our first or second episode I was getting all upset about the treatment of garden gnomes (laughs) when we were doing our um, remember all segment and I was talking about how they're constantly kicking the garden gnomes out of their home and they're walking away with their shoulders slumped so they're clearly capable of emotions right but they're also garden pests so how do you find a
0: happy humane way to fix that problem exactly yeah okay so that leaves us more stuff to go over after the film is released um we have one more episode before we see fantastic be somewhere to find in the film yay so that'll be way exciting and um Saul will be with me and we're going to be discussing everything that's come out that we have not discussed so far so So, yeah
1: I will not be here mm -mm. feel free to you know tweet us your sad sad sob stories about how desolate and lonely you feel without me here (laughs) without hearing my voice it's okay just let it all out let me
0: know it's fine. I'm going to start off the episode just by crying my <laughs> tears. Let's go into the remember before we take it out.
1: Okay. I just want to take a moment to talk about our pal Gilderoy Lockhart. He is one of those characters, along with Rita Skeeter for me, who when I was first reading the series or even, you know, the fourth or fifth time I was reading the series, couldn't stand them. They're so infuriating. They cause strife and embarrassment for Harry. Like, yeah. all the secondhand embarrassment you feel for him is so real. But as I've gotten older and as I've gotten so much more familiar with the books, I just love them. They're entertaining. They're interesting characters. And they just they crack me up. And this guy, I'm <coughs> reading him, and he just... He blabbers on about his, how he's so great, and he brags about stuff that he knows he's not capable of doing and offers to help with things he knows he cannot do. I mean, he tries to fix Harry's broken arm. I'm pretty sure he's aware he can't do, or at least he's bragged to the extent that he's convinced himself I think that he can. Yeah. I mean, he challenged Snape to a duel. <laughs> He's got to be aware that Snape is not only very capable, but also dangerous and crabby. (laughs) And also, I would have loved to have seen the conversation where he tried to talk Snape into running the dueling club with him. Either that or Snape offered, either option is delightful to me. But as obnoxious as he is and as dishonest and Problem-causing he is. I really appreciated in that beginning quiz he throws out for the students that his uh, ideal birthday gift would be harmony between all magic and non-magic peoples. Aw. Oh. Good for you, Gilderoy Lockhart. Oh.
0: I, I love Gilderoy Lockhart. <laughs> During a summer camp once, we had a Harry Potter skit, and I was assigned the role of Gilderoy Lockhart. <laughs> And for some reason, felt the need to therefore post every Facebook comment on all of those pictures as Gilroy Lockhart. Excellent. And it was the most fun I've ever had. <laughs> it would be really fun to be him because you could it. just cheese it up and
1: have no limits whatsoever. Yeah. Should we move on to our pensive yes. segment? Yep. We actually have had some responses Woo! this time, so
0: we want to give a shout out to I- Barcelos knows, so is Barcelos. Um, she said really nice things about our, our Cursed Child episodes. And then we
1: also want to shout out to Celeste and Mariah for, they basically just like went on a complimenting spree for each other's guest hosting. Mm-hmm. Um, Celeste mentioned that her favorite magical creature is the Snallygaster. So eventually when we actually talk about these creatures,
0: it'll be for you, Celeste. And at Trey4, who's Trevor, who I also know, <laughs> um, he says that the announcement about the five Fantastic Beasts movies, Longtime listener, first-time tweeter, is this too many movies? Which we kind of answered your question
1: in the beginning, so... Yes. I, think, I think our response to that is... Probably. We don't think
0: so, maybe, <laughs> but we're waiting, but we hope not, but maybe. I'm, I'm leaning towards probably, but I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I like that. And then I posted on Reddit about canon because... I just want to talk about that all the time. And I got some really cool responses from there. Reddit user Ereska, who's also a Hufflepuff. I love it. I did pose a question to this user regarding what they had to say about canon. And he or she said that the Fantastic Beasts book never really seemed finished to him or her because there were way too few beasts. So they would readily accept the new movie over the book. Although, if the new movie contradicted the original series in some way, they'd reject the portions that contradict, but not the movie as a whole. And that's what they're doing with Cursed Child as well. So okay. I think that's a, a valuable way to go about doing it.
1: Yeah, sort of a mixture of the precedent thing and the cherry picking. And yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the Fantastic Beasts book changes after the film. Yeah. Yeah, there were a whole entire conversations in there that I haven't actually caught up with because I kept talking about it. So it was great. But shout out to Vehicle and the user Scotso and Nicodemus Fleur, Tarot Fox and Libertine Baby for all commenting on that section. It was a really good conversation, and I'll link to the conversation on Reddit in the description. All right. That's all we have we, for today. I think we nailed it. We did. <laughs> Find us on Twitter, guys, at NewtCasts. With an S. Facebook.com slash NewtCast. Or at NewtCast.com. Thanks so much for joining us. See, See you next time. Next time. Bye.